Good morning. It's so good to see all of you here today. Uh, what a blessing it is to uh, gather in this place uh, as people who believe in God and trust Him uh, with our lives and believe that He has the power to save us by His grace and mercy. We're really glad that you're here today. I am definitely missing all my friends down here. It's just a totally different world on this side, down front, because so many of our young people are missing, and it's not the same without them, but we are very glad they were able to go over to uh, West Tennessee, uh, to Evangelism University in Savannah, which is a fantastic program. Over a thousand young people get together. They meet at uh, Hardin County High School all weekend, going to classes, gathering for worship, and I know our group has been uplifted by that. And as Mike said, they're headed back this afternoon. Say a prayer for them. Ask God to give them safe travels back. Uh, we are in the midst of our One Word series. And we are reading some these devotional books together. At least I hope that we are. Many of you have a book. I hope that you uh, are participating in that. If you do not yet have a book, we have them available in our church office. So just swing by and get one. We, have, we actually had to order a few more. We ordered 400 initially. Those are gone. So I had to make a second order. And we have those available to you again. And as I said last week, these are also available in a digital format uh, so that you can read it on your phone or your tablet or your computer. Shoot me an email. You can find my address on our bulletin, which you need to pick up in our lobby on your way out. And just request that, and I'll send it your way. Many of you have already requested it. I think I have responded to all those requests, hopefully. And also, there's a study guide, and not to lay more on you, but if you are interested in digging a little deeper into each of the words that we're covering, then email me, ask for the study guide. I'll send it to you as well in a digital format. It is a joy to see so many new faces in our midst over the past few months. And I want to make sure that uh, we all greet visitors in a warm way. And on occasion, I like to give us an opportunity to do that in the assembly, which I'm going to do right now. We haven't been on our feet yet. I'd like you to get on your feet and greet those around you. Make sure everybody feels warmly welcome this morning. I got my own. All right, let's have a seat. All right, thank you so much. That, that is a good thing when 
I can hardly get y'all calmed back down. That shows me there's a lot of good visiting and fellowship going on. How could something so small cause so much destruction? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe if you're a young parent, you have asked that about your sweet young child, and you've just cleaned up your house, or you've cleaned up a room, and then suddenly it is a wreck again. And you say to yourself, how could something so small, so little, leave such a great path of devastation in his or her wake? Over the past 20 years, millions upon millions of acres of forest have been decimated in western North America. Wide areas of pine trees have been completely destroyed. And not by fire, not by deforestation, by an infestation of mountain pine beetles, each of which is the size of a grain of rice. How could something so small cause so much devastation? I ask the same question about the tiny little three-letter word that we're talking about this morning and that you're going to be reading about this week. And the word is spelled S-I-N. How can this small word, seemingly harmless, stand for such an enormously destructive force? And yet, you and I, we can't even begin to fathom the devastation that sin has wrought in our world. We ought to try. We really should try. And yet, we will never be able to fully wrap our minds around the destruction that sin has left in its wake. And when I say sin, you know, in this day and age, I feel it's necessary to define it. Because we don't much like to talk about it in our culture. It's not a word that is even in our society's vocabulary anymore, it seems. And so when I say sin, when we talk about sin, biblically speaking, we're talking about the rebellion of humans against their Creator. Last week the word was creation. We talked about how God made all things, how God made us in order to share a relationship with Him. But everything went wrong in the third chapter of Genesis that was read for us earlier. And humans decided they no longer wanted to live in relationship with God. They wanted to live in rebellion against God. They no longer wanted to be dependent upon God. They wanted to live independently from God's will. And so sin came into the world. And nothing has been the same since. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, just a few verses after what Donovan read for us a few moments ago about how sin entered into this world, In verse 17, God said, cursed is the ground. And this is one of the many consequences of sin in our world. And maybe a neglected consequence. Maybe one we haven't considered. In the words of the great preacher Jimmy Allen, this is what that means. The earth wars against us in its barrenness, its floods, its earthquakes and volcanoes. The atmosphere Wars against us in its storms, its lightnings, and winds breathing pestilence. The beasts of the field war against us, thirsting for our blood, pursuing us as their prey. But what's more is that our fellow humans war against us in slander, robbery, oppression, and murder. We even war against ourselves. Our passions enslave and destroy us. Our consciences torment us with stinging 
remorse. What powerful words. And all of this has come about because of that tiny little three-letter word. Sin. I'm a good news preacher. But this week, I need to share some bad news. And it's not pleasant. And I don't delight in sharing it. But it's part of the story of the Scriptures. It's still part of the story of our world. And we must talk about it. And so this week, our word is sin. And we're going to continue talking about sin tonight. And I'm going to dig a little deeper into Genesis chapter 3 tonight. I'd love for you to come back and join us as we look at, at the, the moment when sin entered into the world and what that did to humans' relationship with God. So come back at 6 o'clock tonight. I'm talking about wrath the next week, God's wrath. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about grace. And I see these three sermons as being joined together, almost like a mini-series within this larger one-word series that we're looking at. Sin, wrath, And then you know who gets to preach the grace sermon? Alex. He gets to ride in here on a white steed and talk about grace after I have for two weeks had to burden you with sin and wrath. Now how fair is that? How did I I draw that, that straw? But that's the way it is, and it's important that we talk about the bad news of sin because it's only when we fully understand the bad news of sin that we can fully appreciate and be grateful for the good news of our Savior. And so let's talk about some of the bad news that arises out of this reality of sin that we have to deal with. Here's the first bit of bad news that I have for you. You have a sin problem. And you may not have come to church this morning wanting to hear this message. You may not be here because you want me to speak directly to you and confront you and to look you in the eye and to tell you you have a sin problem, but you do. It's the truth. And I'm not just talking about the person to your left or your right on your pew. I'm not talking about the person on the other side of the auditorium. You know what's been going on with them. You know they have a sin problem. You know exactly what it is. I'm talking directly to you. Yes, you. And you. Each of you has a sin problem. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. No one is righteous. Not anybody is righteous. That includes you. You are not an exception to that rule. And then later in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we love to talk about other people's sin problems, don't we? We love to talk about those homosexuals and those adulterers and those fornicators and those greedy people and those swindlers and and those who are selfish. But we like to avoid our sin. We prefer to turn a blind eye to the sin problem that we have. And maybe you're out there thinking, well, I just really can't think of a sin problem that I have compared to those others you listed. Well, let me be the first to tell you, then that's your sin problem. And it's called pride. You've got a sin problem. But... A lot of us like to ignore that fact. In 1954, Graham Sutherland was commissioned to paint a full-length portrait of British Prime Minister Winston Churchill. And I know I just mentioned Churchill a few weeks ago, but I must think that his life is ripe for sermon illustration. So here we go again. Winston Churchill, on the occasion of his 80th birthday, 
And so this painter, he made some charcoal sketchings of Churchill uh, at a handful of sittings. And then he created the final work, this, this painting, in his studio. And at a public ceremony in Westminster Hall on November the 30th, 1954, the portrait was unveiled and presented to Churchill. And Churchill could not hide his hatred, his utter loathing for it. He wanted this painter to depict him as a strong leader, almost like a fictional ideal. But Sutherland, a very modernist painter, painted him as he saw him. Painted him as he was. Slouched, slumped down in a chair, gripping the armrests uh, in his normal dress, scowling, you know, frowning, and old. He just looked old. Churchill called the painting filthy. He said, that is a filthy work of art. The painting was originally intended to hang in the Houses of Parliament after his death, but it was given in the meantime to the Churchills as a gift. He took it to his home and no one ever saw it again. It was later discovered that the Churchills kept the portrait in their basement. And later on, Mrs. Churchill ordered the painting to be burned. And many today think that a great masterpiece was lost. Uh, it was destroyed by the Churchills, all because he didn't like that this painter had painted his true likeness. We don't like to see ourselves for who we truly are. We want to pretend that our sins are not a big deal. That our sins are not as big a deal as somebody else's sins. Or worse, that we don't really have a sin problem. That our sins don't even exist. But we must recognize the very bad news that I feel I must share with you this morning. That you, that I, that we all have a sin problem. And the sin that should disturb and upset and disgust you the most is your own. Because every sin brings separation between us and God, even yours you have a sin problem but let me share some even worse news with you this morning i'm going to call it batter news and i know that that's not a word but forgive me that's just what i want to that's the word i want to use this morning we talked about the bad news you have a sin problem here's some batter news you're responsible you're responsible for your sin you know sometimes we sin because we want to we are drawn to sin. We're enticed to it. Sin would not be an issue in our world and it wouldn't be an issue for anybody sitting in a pew this morning if it, if it wasn't attractive, if it wasn't enticing, if it wasn't appealing to our fleshly side. And so sometimes we sin because we choose to and we want to. Lauren's older brother and his wife, they have three boys, our nephews. Luke is the oldest and then Owen and then Tucker. I may have shared this story before. Uh, and so if I have, just bear with me. But they like, they're big into sports, and they like to watch this old basketball movie, Hoosiers. Some of you know about Hoosiers, uh, with Gene Hackman as the coach of the uh, Indiana basketball team. And they were riding around in the car one day, all with their headphones on, watching the, t the movie in the car, because you know none of our children these days can go anywhere in their car without watching a movie. It's the way things are today. And so Luke, the oldest, knows that there's a part coming up in the movie where Gene Hackman uses some, well, some inappropriate colorful language. And so he's the oldest, he's the rule follower, he's trying to take care of his younger brothers, and he says, guys, we need to take off our headphones because this is a part that we don't need to see 
or here. And so Luke takes his off. He says, there's bad stuff coming up in the movie. Luke removes his headphones. Owen removes his headphones. But Tucker holds his headphones close to his ears even tighter. And so the part is coming up. It's getting closer in the movie. And Luke is beginning to get worried. Tucker, you've got to take off your headphones. You don't need to hear this part. There's some bad stuff. But Tucker wouldn't take them off. And Luke continued to plead with him. And Tucker finally said, I like bad stuff. And you know, some of us, some of us are like Tucker. We like bad stuff. And sometimes that's, that brings about sin in our lives, but other times it's that we like some good stuff a little too badly. We are taken in by our desires and we are drawn into sin and it's our fault. You know, other times we sin because we don't know better. It's not... It is not uh, a choice that we make. It's just because we're ignorant to the Scriptures, to God's will. And so we make missteps because we maybe are young in our faith uh, or because there is a, a passage that we haven't yet discovered. And, so, and I use the term ignorant in the most respectful way possible. I just mean it's that we don't know any better. But it doesn't matter how you get into sin whether you choose it or you do it inadvertently, it is your fault. James clears that up for us. In James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says, it's your desire that causes you to sin. Therefore, you bear responsibility for it. We share in the blame of Adam and Eve that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. They suffer the punishment, the consequences for our sin, uh, for their sin, and we still have to suffer those consequences today because we're sinners. So the bad news is you've got a sin problem. The, the badder news is you're responsible for it. And the baddest news of all is you can't do anything about it. You, on your own, are powerless to change your sinful condition. You can't stop sinning on your own. Every time you think you've got it managed, that you've, you know, you've figured out how to box all that sin in and isolate it and separate it from yourself, every time you think you've got control over it, it rears its ugly head again, doesn't it? Isn't that how it works? Every time you think you've got one sin whipped and you're never going to do that again, you're never going to think that again, you're never going to fall into that bad habit again, another one comes up and takes its place right under your nose. It is always, as the Scriptures say, crouching at your door, waiting to attack. We can never quite kick it away. We can never rid our lives from it. We can't stop sinning. And something else we can't do, we can't stop moving toward the ultimate destination that, that sin is bringing us towards. We can't stop moving towards, towards the destruction that awaits us as sinners. Your sin has you on a non-stop conveyor belt headed for hell the wages of sin is death, and you, on your own, are helpless to change course. So how is that for bad news? I told you I had bad news this morning. And it's what the Scriptures share with us, and so we must talk about it. We don't need to skirt around it. We don't need to sweep it under the rug. We've got we've to confront it head on. We've, we've got to allow it to confront us. 
this bad news. The bad news that you have a sin problem, that you're responsible for it, and that you can't do anything about it. As bad news goes, this is as bad as it gets. And yet, what kind of preacher would I be if I just got up here and burdened you with bad news and then let you walk out the door? I tell you what preacher I, what kind of preacher I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be a gospel preacher. I wouldn't be a good news preacher. And so even in a sermon packed with this much bad news, I mean, I don't think that, that I could pack one more ounce of bad news into this sermon that I've already shared. There's still space for good news. There's still room for it. Even to a world as devastated by sin as ours, and isn't our world devastated by sin? Everywhere you look, sin is having its way with the inhabitants of this planet. Sin is wreaking havoc on the people in our nation and in our community. The destruction is on a scale that we cannot even imagine. But even to this world in the state that we're in, God has some very good news to share. And here it is. You have a sin problem, but God has a sin solution. And it's His Son. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. I mentioned this half earlier in the sermon. But it doesn't stop there. And neither will this sermon. And neither will my preaching. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus The free gift from the gracious hand of God is life and salvation forever in God's presence because of the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. You've got a problem. God has the solution. Your sin is your fault. That was the second part of bad news. But Jesus makes it His responsibility. It was never Jesus' problem. Sin was never His problem. He didn't have to deal with it because He never sinned. And yet, what did He do? Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died when we should have. He took the punishment that we deserved. He didn't have any place being on that cross. He didn't have any place enduring the excruciating pain that He did because He never had anything to do with this sin stuff. It was our problem. It's our responsibility. We needed to answer for it, but Jesus did instead. Yeah, there's bad news. But this good news far outweighs the bad. Here's the last bit. You can't do anything about your sin. You're helpless. You're hopeless to change your condition. But here's the good news. Jesus already has. Jesus has already done what needs to be done to take care of your sin even before you were born, while you were still languishing in your sins in this life. Jesus had already taken care of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear what that transaction looks like? What that trade looks like? It's the most unfair transaction in the history of the world. Because of us, God made Jesus to be sin, to take on sin, something that was so foreign to Him. Because he knew no sin, 
so that we could have our sins lifted, removed from us, and be made righteous in God's sight. You have a sin problem, it's your fault, and you can't do anything about it, but Jesus is the solution. He makes it His responsibility, and He's already done everything that needs to be done for you. And He's simply waiting on you to come and say, I receive it. I recognize what you've done for me. And there's just no way that I can take care of this sin problem on my own. And I acknowledge that you've done everything necessary to handle it. And so I'm ready to, I'm ready to receive the gift free gift of salvation. He's waiting on you to do that. Now the question is, what are you waiting on? Sin runs deep. But let me tell you something. Grace runs deeper. The tentacles of sin have worked their way into every crack and crevice of human existence, but grace has followed them there. Sin corrupts to the furthest extent but grace brings healing and restoration even further. Every day, every day that you and I are on this planet, we should become more aware of the total devastation of our sin. And just the same, become more amazed at the total restoration that God's grace can bring. Michael E. Harden writes this. In 1991, a judge fined brothers Gino and Russell Capazello, owners of a, a Connecticut wrecking company, nearly $900,000 for operating an illegal dump. You see, in 1986, on the empty lots surrounding their facility, the brothers started dumping debris from, built, from buildings. And eventually, the mound of rubble and muck covered two acres and reached a height of 35 feet, which is the equivalent of a three-story building. The state ordered them to clean it up, but the brothers claimed there was no place to dump it all legally in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where they lived. And they couldn't afford to have it hauled away. While spending more than $330,000 the previous year to have debris hauled away, they barely made a dent in the pile. And according to Gino, this is a direct quote from one of the brothers. It was never supposed to get this high. Maybe that's how you're feeling this morning about your sin. I was never supposed to get to this point. It was one little lie. It was one little mistake, a little mess up. How did I arrive here? How did the pile get this big and unwieldy. I don't even know where to start in the cleanup effort. And let me tell you, if you try to start cleaning up the mess of your life on your own, you will make less of a dent in that pile than those brothers did in their pile of garbage. But what if I told you that God can clean up the garbage in your life just like that? Instantly. Now, some of you here this morning would say, well, that just sounds too good to be true. Admit it, you thought that just now. 
God can just magically make it all go away. He can remove my sins from me and I can receive the righteousness of God by His grace even though I'm the one with the sin problem and even though it's my responsibility and even though I'm the one who deserves to deal with it, the answer is yes. He can. He can take care of it. Right here, right now, He can remove your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. And what do you know it? A sermon on sin has really become a sermon about grace. And for those of you who still think that it's too good to be true, let me share this with you from a friend of mine. If the gospel doesn't seem to us almost too good to be true, we probably don't understand it well enough. If the gospel we believe teaches us that that, what I just said, is too good to be true, then it's probably not the real gospel because God does have the power to take away your sin in a moment if you allow Him to. He's the only one who can take it away. You are doomed for death and destruction unless you allow Him to take it away. And He's already done everything that has to be done in order to take it away by allowing Jesus to die on the cross. Sinners, Jesus will receive. And there's nobody out in this audience who doesn't fall into that category. That's what we're about to sing. Sinners, Jesus will receive. Sound this word of grace to all. We invite you, sinners, come and experience the grace of God this morning. Make Jesus the Lord of your life as we stand and sing. Jesus will receive.